What fresh hell is this? Mommy! Where are my damn glasses? Alicia, it's your mother. When you get a chance, give me a call, please. Thank you. Has anybody seen my phone? Mom! Mom! Honey! Oh, shit. I think something's burning in the kitchen. Where are my damn glasses? Mama! Alicia, I just hung up with producers. They loved your read. They said you owned the room. Great job, sweetheart. But they're going in another direction. Which direction? Away from you. Mama, never mind. Oh, great. Found my glasses. Hello, I'm Alicia Coppola. I'm an actress an author of Gracefully Gone on Amazon, hard copy and Kindle, shameless plug. Wife, mother of three kids, chef, laundress, maid, vacuumer of copious amounts of dog hair. But who I really am is a bootstrap bitch. I have pulled myself up by my bootstraps more times than I can count. Like most of my guests that you'll hear from on this podcast, I haven't always had it easy. Everyone has a story. Some of my guests are famous. Some are just famous in their own homes. Some are getting through or have gotten through major life ordeals, and others are just trying to make it through Monday. All of their transformational journeys are inspiring, aspiring, and courageous. We who pull ourselves up by our bootstraps don't bitch. We do. Welcome to Bootstrap Bitch. Hey! How are you? I have to say, the Zooming is coming at a very terrible time because it's interrupting my watching the Stafford project. Oh my gosh. I have been laughing all morning. Josh Morrow was hyster- hysterical. Kelly Preston. See Kelly, your work in that. I, I, it, why is that not a hit TV show? Oh my God. You know, it, it's, I just saw it again a couple weeks ago, I'm like, this is fucking funny. It's fucking funny. <laughs> and it fucking holds up. It holds up, right? That was 2013. You only did, I mean, we're jumping in right now. We'll we'll backpedal, but- Sure, sure. You did just one season. Yeah, we did those 10 shows. Those 10 episodes. Yeah, yeah, we did those 10 shows. And then see, one of the issues is that my friends that I wrote it with, they're like actual producers. They, so they do like, they like produce commercials and like Adidas ads and like, like they're busy. And it's so, it's so hard getting together and, and, and making it happen. Also, we shopped it around. And at the time people were like, well, it was before the me too. It was before, you know, and they're like, well, you know, why do we want to see a 40 year old woman at the time, 40 year old? Uh, why do we want to see a woman in her forties? Like, what is it? And I think it actually would kill now. And especially a woman in her fifties, you know, having learned no lesson, having the same issues with men, having learned, having, having nothing change. <laughs> and so anyway, we got together recently to reboot it. And, but it's just really challenging because of our schedules, you know? Okay, I'm gonna introduce you now. Guys, uh, we are so excited today to have Michelle Stafford on Bootstrap Bitch, because I have to say in her career and all the different incarnations that you have had, you've had to pull yourself up by your bootstraps many, many times. 
Yeah. It hasn't always no. been smooth sailing for the Stafford. No, no, not smooth sailing for the Stafford. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> now, you and I met, I believe we met at an audition for some army thing. Oh, God, yeah. Do you remember that? I do now that you're saying it. Um, yeah, and it was a nice conversation. Yes, and it was in Century City, some, some and I think it was the- Oh, day. yes, yes. Remember that? It was, yeah, it was for, it was just for a film, like, and it was, and yeah. we kind of felt like, what the, you know, like, I'm going to give it a try, or at least I felt like that, like, this, I'm probably not going to get this gig. You know how many auditions you go on where you're like, this really doesn't have my name written on it, but I'm going to go in there, I'm give, I'm going to give it a try. Yeah, pretty much every audition I go on. <laughs> for sure. Just like. Literally, there are times when I'm reading something and I'm like, oh, just go get Rena Sofer. Oh, just go get Michelle Crawford. Just go get, just. Oh my God. And I, and I used to, not so much now, but used to, this could, could be a, a commentary on me, but I used to get like the hot, like um, a cougar. And I'd be like, and I'd sit in the office and I'd be like, these women are so much better for this you know, like the cougar with the boobs. And I'm like, oh, what am I doing? I'm not going to get this. You know, I don't get, I don't audition for the hot cougar anymore though. How funny. I just realized that. Damn. That's too bad because. Too old. I'm too old for the hot cougar. Well, you're too old for the hot cougar. What are we called now? If, if, if we're good looking. We're called fucking awesome is what we're called. True. We are awesome sauce. We are. <laughs> So I want to talk about this. So you had a very similar beginning as I did, starting out in 94. I started out in 91 on Another World with, with playing Phyllis on Young and the Restless. It was only supposed to be what, like a couple months stint? Yeah, yeah. It was supposed to be actually just a few weeks. Okay, and then what happened? Yeah. They fell in love with Yeah, her. she was, well, she was just supposed to come in run over Christine and be like the, and then go off to jail. Right. And, uh, and I think that, and Bill, it was just Bill, you know, Bill Bell, uh, really liked me and, uh, they offered me a contract and then it continued. I had no, I mean, geez, 25 years later, however long that's, it's crazy. Right. I was crazy about that with Anthony and Anthony was saying, wow, how, to stay on a show for that many years. And I want to say you left in 97. Yeah. Yeah. I left in 97. Then you. And I came back in 2000. Correct. And then you went on to the general hospital though. No. And I came out in 2000 and then I left again in 2013. Right. And then, and then was off for a year. Um, and did the Stafford project and then, and yeah. And then was off for a bit and, and then went to general hospital for five years. That was a fun gig too. Well, all of your gigs have been fun. Yeah. They've all been fun. Well, it's a fun gig. You know, when you're working it, it, at a job that you like and you like the people, it's a good gig. And you're back on YNR now. I'm back on YNR now. Came back um, a year and a half ago. So when you left in 97 and then we're back again, what happened in between 97 and 2000? In 90, 98, I did an Aaron Spelling show. 
uh, called Pacific Palisades. The reason I smile is because, you know, we, we shot, I think, eight, but only five showed. And, and I, just my favorite story of the whole thing, I, it's where I became friends with Vanilla Hughes. She played my best friend on the show. And it was great working for Aaron. It's great doing an Aaron Spelling show. And, um, and, uh, but, but they took us off one week because we were like the summer replacement. Fox was doing something new about, you know, making the summer less reruns and more new shows. They were trying this out. And so we are a summer replacement. But after the fifth show, they took us off and they replaced us with when good animals go bad. And, and it got the same ratings as we did. <laughs> it got the same ratings and I knew uh, we're done, you know, because that's like nothing to produce that show. And um, so we never came back. We shot more, but um, nobody saw them. It was, it was a good time. Like I, I start, I had a friend in Panola Hughes and we've stayed friends since that time. So um, that was a great thing that came out of it. And also working for the legend that is Aaron Spelling was pretty remarkable. You worked for him too. I have never done an Aaron Spelling show. You, oh, I thought you did. Okay. So you went back to in 2000. And you yeah, and then I just did a bunch of other shows. I did, you know, episodic, you know, the deal. Yes. I got around, did episodic, did movies. And then uh, they asked me to come back to the show. And I thought, hey, it'd be really fun to make money again. Oh, that. I mean, it's so funny. I, I joke with people, you know, when they give um, actors interviews. And why did you come back to the show? Well, I just wanted, And it's like, because you needed money. <laughs> because it not even needed. It. It's nice to make money. It's nice to make money. So it was, you know, hey, this will be cool to make some cash. And so I came back. And also, I loved working there. I loved YNR. I loved, um, I loved, it, it's a good time with those folks. I did a brief. I know, you were on for how, for like a year. No, I was on for a hot minute. It was a little confusing because I was sold one thing. Yeah. Which is why I went to do yeah. it. And then it turned out to be something very different. Well, yes, that that is show business, right? Right. And the character just... The character was not really well received. Oh, she, yeah, she was. Were you an you were an attorney, right? No, I was a doctor for Eric Braden's character while he right. was in jail. Okay, and I think it was she was you know supposed to be this tough you know tough strong woman, and then they have this love affair which I don't think any of the fans liked because I was in the way of. Eric and um, Nikki. Nikki, so they didn't okay. like me at all. And then basically they kind of threw my character under the bus because I had to, um, I just fell so hopelessly in love with him that I could no longer function. <laughs> so that, that was, that was it. And then, yeah, as we do. As we do. We just fall so head over heels in love with our prison inmates that we can no longer complete a full sentence on our own. So that was the end of her. And I have to say though, it was delightful. 
making that trip over Laurel Canyon and going into that CBS place with the back door that led to the Grove. Oh my goodness, right? That was my favorite thing about the job. I mean, the people were incredible. John and Patty and hair and makeup. Everybody was so kind to me. Everybody was lovely to me. Yeah, yeah. And I loved every moment of it. But my favorite part was that secret door in the back to the Grove. Listen, I think it's pretty fantastic too. I used to talk to Billy Miller when we were both at GH. And he's like, how much do you miss the Grove? How <laughs> <laughs> Because the good thing is you make your money on Y&R and then you go through the special portal. <laughs> Spend it. Yeah, in that portal. It's like you're transformed. Then I myself, if I could just make this role last till Christmas, I can take my kids through the special portal. Oh, oh, I mean, to do your Christmas shopping on your lunch break? Yes. It's pretty yeah. great. It's magnificent. Yeah. You take a job there just for that. Totally. For that. It's maybe not a career change, nothing, just to go through the door. Uh, and then you did something that fascinates me. In 2004, you were a hockey correspondent for the best oh. sports show, period. God, yes. That's fantastic. That was, it was, it, that was amazing. And I can honestly say I totally screwed that job up. I that's one thing that I was like, I learned some good lessons on that. Because I, I went in as a guest, right, during, oh gosh, the, the 2002 playoffs and the Ducks, I'm a Kings fan. I'm a huge, I'm a, like a 35-year LA Kings fan, right? But, um, and I, I love hockey and, and uh, I know hockey. And so I'd been doing some things with, you know, with hockey prior to doing this, but I got on the show. I really wanted on the show. I thought it was a really fun show. And um, so they, on the show, the Ducks were in the playoffs, but I think it was like the second round. And I said, on the, I said, you guys don't cover hockey well. I said, I want to be your hockey correspondent on the show. And then Chris Rose said, hey, uh, if the Ducks get in the Stanley Cup playoffs, if the Ducks get in the Stanley Cup game, we'll let you uh, cover it. And they did. And I was on that freaking phone. I, I'm like, you said I'd cover it. Anyway, I, I went to cover it. We didn't have credentials. We didn't have anything. So we made it fun. We kind of made it a bit that I couldn't get backstage and I kept on talking to people like on the concourse and I would see celebrities and we'd get celebrities on the concourse. And it was like gorilla interviewing and it turned out to be a hilarious piece. And they hired me based on that piece. Like the head of Fox at the time loved it. And, and anyway, I started doing jobs for them and I was interviewing celebrities. They started having me interview celebrities, which is a very different thing than interviewing an athlete. It's very different. And I, I couldn't do it. And then I would get history wrong. Like you have to study so much about the person's career. And I remember like with this one big celebrity, I was trying to joke and they weren't having it. They were just like, mm. Mm. oh gosh, it was really tough. And I, I, and I'm just thinking, dude, just throw me a bone, you know, in my head. It's like, this is so tough. So I'm always nice to people in, you know, in interviews, because I know it's, it's really hard, you know, like 
you don't want to screw up, especially with someone big. But anyway, um, and then one time I interviewed this director and I said his name wrong. I mean, <laughs> just, I just screwed up a lot. And then a new guy came in to produce the show and they ended up firing me or, or just not bringing me back anymore. But I say firing. And, and I learned that you got to be prepared. You have to be prepared. You have to do your due diligence. Yeah. So you were raised in Chicago. I was born in Chicago. Yeah, we left there when I was 10 months old and then I was raised in LA. Oh, you were raised in LA. See, I didn't yeah. know that. I just No, it's okay, but that's how it reads that I'm like a Chicago native and people from Chicago usually meet me and go, yeah, girl. And I'm like, oh, yay. <laughs> and you were raised in LA proper in the Valley on the West side? Uh, a little town called Montrose, which is like the foothills you, it's up the two, you know, where, where the 134 hits the two, yeah. it's up the two, up at the foothills of the mountains. Wow. So you're yeah. like native, you've been here for your whole life, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty yeah. You go to college. I didn't. Let that be a lesson, people. <laughs> so you kicked around for a little bit after high school before you found acting. Yeah, I modeled. Yes. I modeled after, after, well, I had a brain tumor that sidelined me for a bit. I had a brain tumor that was taken out. And then I was like, oh, I could have died. I'm really going for it, you know? I love and you um, that right in there. You had a brain tumor. So I, I know I had a brain tumor. I, a brain I know I usually just throw that in and people go, what, 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 what? What? But um, yeah, you know, and so I just, I got on a plane and I, I, I literally at 19, I got on a plane and flew to Italy and just started a, a modeling career. That was a bold move. And I remember I was scared to death. I couldn't leave my hotel room for two weeks when I got there. And then I was like, okay, at least I have to just go outside the door. So I started with going outside the door and I came back. And then like the next day I was like, okay, I'll go down to the lobby. And I went down to the lobby. <laughs> And then I like every day because I was scared to death. I was like, yeah. And then I did it. And I was like, fuck. How long were you there? Uh, the first time I was there for about three months. And then I came home and then I went back for a couple weeks and I got freaked out again. And I was afraid and I just flew right back home. I couldn't come out of my hotel room again. And, um, uh, you know, and then I went back a year later for about five months and I really, I end up uh, doing well, you know, like the first three months I was there the first time I didn't do well. I started, you know, I, I was introduced to, to something called hashish and it was very big at the time. And, you know, I'd never done a drug in my life. And so, oh my gosh, I've never talked about this. So, you know, I, I started smoking a lot of hashish. And I, and I fucked up, you know, my career and then I, you know, left, but then I came back and I was like, very, very clean. And because, you know, the modeling world, it, it's like, it can go one way or the other, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, it, it's like the girls who get caught up in the scene and the girls who actually work. And I didn't, I wanted to be a girl who worked. So I starved and, and I worked and you worked. and that wasn't very fun to start. A common thread among all of my guests who come on Bootstrap Bitch is 
not being a stranger to these spirals of anxiety and depression oh, yeah. and the dark side. Every one of my guests has had some kind of dance with that devil. Of course. Do you still struggle today with any amount of that? Or do you feel like you've tamed those demons? I, I, I don't think I struggle with that. Um, I, not that I'm impervious to being depressed. Uh, you know, like last year was, it was tremendous for all of us. We all had our own personal story, right? Whether we got sick or whether a relative got sick or we were stuck indoors alone or we were stuck indoors with someone we didn't like or we were stuck indoors with a single mom to two kids. I mean, it's, we all had something. I, you cannot go through this last year and say, it was fine. I, I had a great time cooking banana bread. And, it, you know, like I just don't, I don't, I think that those people do exist, but I have to be honest, I don't want to be one of those people. I want messy. I want um, emotion. Uh, we're actors, yes. you know, we like emotion. I love emotion. Um, and I think that you, I think you have to know yourself and understand if you're the kind of person that wants to like jump on the express train and live, you're going to have more of this than the guy, possibly, this is conjecture on my part, than the guy who has his set life and his set job because sometimes those people are freaking depressed and miserable too. Like these women, I always think like, where's my rich man? But I, I, I've, I've met rich men. I didn't marry them. There's a reason for that. I, I don't want to be at home um, having my dude buy stuff for me. <laughs> Although sometimes it would be nice. It doesn't sound awful. It doesn't, it doesn't, oh, it doesn't sound as I'm talking. I'm like, the fuck? <laughs> what the fuck? Sounds delightful. So, like a week. If I, I know for a week, <laughs> like just pay a couple bills. Pay a couple bills. Pay um, bills. Yeah. But yeah, I kind of like living um, on the edge. I like a free fall. I like a free fall. And, uh, you know, and so I think understanding that about myself. I cease to um, get depressed. I, 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 could, I could have things to be depressed about if I wanted to, but um, I don't want to. <laughs> you don't want to. No, I, I, who, who does? But I find that interesting that, that the anxiety in Italy paralyzed you, but it paralyzed, paralyzed me. It paralyzed you after the free fall. And so, listen, if you can get through a brain tumor, go to Italy by yourself at 19 and even get to the lobby, I think is quite a feat. And I think from what I understand about you, just from doing the research that I did on you and watching your work for all these years and seeing you put your hand in so many different, I mean, you have a skincare line, an all natural, vegan, cruelty-free skincare I'll line. I'll send it to you. I would love it, called Skin Nation, which you did in 2016. I feel like you're you're really not afraid. You're not afraid to do anything. You're really a fearless woman. And that was one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you. Um, also, you put out there in the Stafford Project, which I'm still reeling over, your struggles with infertility. I struggled with the same thing. And how you made it 
funny. And for you guys, go on YouTube and you have to watch. I think it's, is it the third episode with Kelly Preston where everybody- The fourth. Oh, the fourth. Everybody's yeah. pregnant around you. And you actually, it's some of the finest work I've seen, go from this happy person until the end of it where you just basically have a nervous breakdown. And I remember that feeling of seeing every pregnant, like all of a sudden I can't get pregnant if everybody took a turn and seeing all these bellies around me and all I wanted to do was kick those women in the shin. <laughs> I remember, oh, and it's, listen, it wasn't some of my finest moments. I'll just tell you this. I remember being with Tracy Bregman and walking to the Grove and there was a woman and she was pregnant. I said, the fuck <laughs> to Tracy, the fuck? I said, she's older than the hills. What the fuck, you know? And of course, Tracy is like, no, no, no. She's probably younger than you. She just looks like Tracy. God bless this woman, Tracy Bregman, for being, she was such a, a friend. But um, <laughs> like, and now I look back at it. Anybody, any woman listening who hasn't gone through this, and sometimes women who have gone through it don't get it. And sometimes I'm like, I, I share, I'm an oversharer with this. And I'm like, oh, she doesn't, she doesn't feel like I do. Oh, wow. Like she's actually just cool and being cool with all. That. I mean, it was, I, I described it. I think that when, when they released that I, I was going to have a, my first child via surrogate, I, I said something like a, a three and a half year road through hell. And oh man, it was, I mean, you know, and then you're all like jacked up on hormones. So it's like, everything is so hard, but again, like I, I started documenting it and filming it. One of my best friends just went and she filmed an actual egg retrieval. She was in the room filming it. And I chose not to be under anesthesia, the wrong thing to do. I'll just tell you that. <laughs> chose, chose to be awake. How painful was that? Very. Plus, you know, the area that the pain is in is not an area that you want to experience pain. I would not suggest it to anyone. No, I don't know. I don't know <laughs> that you do that. Um, I talked him into it, you know. <laughs> I mean, they gave me. Um, <clears throat> Are you dying? <clears throat> Sorry. They gave me fentanyl. So oh, I had a painkiller. Yeah. Yeah, they gave me a painkiller, but I wasn't under, and it was not wise. So you went through three and a half years of infertility and how many rounds of IVF? Four. Then you went to surrogacy. And yes, yeah. On your own. I mean, that's-, that's I did it on my own. Yeah, see, I think it could have been different if I actually, you know, if me and my husband were doing it, I, it could have been different um, I don't know who knows who cares really, but, um, yeah, doing it alone because I started with adoption. I, I never thought that I would, you know, go and, you know, get sperm and do ever. I started with adoption, but that did not go well for me. That was very hard. So I had like almost a year of failed attempts and it was, it was hard. It went horrible for me. And I still, when somebody has a successful adoption cycle, I still get a little like, ah. Oh. Why do you, you know? think it was so hard? 
because I had um, different expectations of how it would be, the situations that were presented to me were somewhat uh, insane. Yeah. And then one girl agreed and then changed her mind when the baby was born. Like that is really, really horrible. You just, and I just remember just the, the, the intensity of feeling like such a loser. Oh my God. And it's not just a loser. I mean, you, I'm sure you can understand this. Any woman understands this. And I swear when you communicate it to women, they're like, no, you're not. And it's like, no, just understand. Yeah. I felt like a fucking loser. And it was, and I was on YNR at the time. And I remember I was playing a story of my husband was cheating on me with somebody else. And I was playing a loser at work too. I'm feeling like a loser. Then I'm learning lines at night. I'm a loser. It was a very hard time in my life. And I wasn't telling anybody what I was doing. Even getting a surrogate for me, it's a, it's a beautiful thing an amazing experience. And both of these women are still in my life, two different surrogates for both children. And um, they're, they'll always be in my life. I'll always know them. You know, it, it's, it, I felt like a total, the first time I felt like a, a complete loser that somebody else was having my baby. I couldn't get over it. I never communicated it to her. Um, but you know, the funny thing is I, I was finding fault with everything. I found a lot of fault. And when you're finding fault, then you start to pull in problems. I just had problem after problem after problem. Oh my God. And, and I realized at the end that it was because I, I was resentful of this woman having my child, but it was a weird conundrum because I created it. Like she had my child because I, I, I made it happen. Right. But I resented her in a very weird way, but I loved her. Right. It was just the oddest emotion to feel that I loved this woman for doing this, for putting herself in danger, you know, and in a way like anything can happen um, and and doing this for me. But I re it was very, very interesting. When I realized this, it kind of started to go smoothly when I was able to realize this? Well, I don't think that's uncommon. And I, I can relate to that. I think everything in the infertility world, um, and I was just talking to another guest who uh, went through queer infertility with her wife. That's a whole other, you know. Yeah, yeah. Journey. But I think everything about infertility is designed to make a woman feel broken, damaged, unfixable, and like God made a mistake. And that's the way I felt too. And I mm -hmm. felt that's why, you know, I would look at pregnant women and I would think, well, clearly they're better than me. Clearly, yeah, me too. you know, yeah. I don't know, their husbands love them more than mine loves me. I mean, irrational things, you know, clearly their womb is much more, you know, yeah. Uh, what negativity must I have to, exactly. yeah, that I don't know about. Yeah. So of course you love this woman who was really an incubator, was an incubator for your baby, right? It's, and you love her. She carried your baby and you got your baby, but I could see how you would look at her and feel bad about yourself because you can't do the very thing that you as a woman's birthright 
right, right, right. Able to do. And what I think a lot of people, for me, I didn't realize it. I, I realize it now. And I think I realized it after the birth of my first. And when I couldn't have my second, having a baby is a privilege. However you get that baby, it's a privilege. You have your baby. Your story is so incredible because it's just a testament to your understanding about yourself that you had this deep desire to parent and to mother. For you to put yourself through that, not once, but twice, is just a testament to the love that you have and the love oh, that, that's so sweet. that you bring. Really? That has to be hard. Yeah, I'll tell you, the second time was easier. Um, and I was cut, the first time I was really hovering over this beautiful woman, uh, you know, way too much. You know, uh, I, I went to every single appointment. I talked to her every day. I, it was just, you know, and because I, I was just bummed out that I couldn't do it. I, I tried so hard, you know, I couldn't do it. But the, the good thing about it and the lucky thing about it is that, you know, I, it, it's weird because it's technical, right? But the, the embryos, were viable. And I had two children. I was over 40 when I did this, you know, I don't, I can't tell you how many times doctor said, well, you're old, you're old, you're old. And like, I have this joke with Josh Amaro where like, you know, cause I told him and a couple others, like more extensively the story. And I, I'm like, I used to think I was some hot bitch. <laughs> like I have this old dragged barren snatch <laughs> after meeting these guys everybody's like well you're old you're old I'm like what well, uh-huh <laughs> um you know and and you're just like geez okay I, I mean I, I was old one doctor came on to me which we used in the Stafford project and that I mean he didn't say what what we used love that shot I love the shot in between your legs, ostensibly doing a path. I think I have feelings for you. <laughs> oh my God. I'll just never forget that day. And I, uh, I just remember thinking when I decided to do it alone, like I'll just have my own kid. You know, how hard could this be? <laughs> We're thinking that, how hard could this be? And, and again, you know, documenting it, I thought, you know, maybe this can turn into something, but honestly, Nobody is going to have sympathy for the perceived rich soap star having to do, you know, having to get a surrogate, you know, like I know how it looks and no one's ever going to feel bad. Right. So, and I don't want anyone to feel bad because I do know how lucky I am. I do. But, um, it's interesting stuff that we have. I mean, I, I might have something in there still to share. You know, maybe I can make it funny. It was an interesting journey for sure. I think what I think you really should mine that well and see, or what is it that you mine? A cave? Is it a cave? No, it's a well. Is it a well? You mine a well? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think you should dig deep there because I bet you have a lot of stuff. I think everybody would be interested in that. Infertility is something that a lot of people don't talk about. We don't talk about it. Like we don't talk about breastfeeding. It hurts. I remember running into an actress after I had my first who was an emergency C um, because he was early and breach. I was having a very hard time breastfeeding him because he was allergic to my milk. 
Um, and also it felt like pulling glass shards through my breast. Yeah. I remember yeah. telling this actress and she looked at me, she goes, oh, well, then you really didn't give birth. I said, what do you mean I, I didn't give birth? Well, I did it at home on my beautiful rug in my living room. And I had no drugs, not like you, who was on morphine. <laughs> what? Shut up. And then I was like, mommy, I was like breastfeeding shamed because I couldn't breastfeed my kid. And, and I remember my neighbor, my dear friend's mom said to me, there is a law you have to feed your baby. There is no law you have to breastfeed your baby. And that made me feel so good. Yeah. So there's so much that I think that you could, uh, you could really help people. I look at some of the stuff and I'm like, I'm pretty entitled here. That was the big lesson for, I have to be honest, that was a big lesson for me because, um, oh my God, and I tell the story and I always cry, so excuse me, because it was like, I had really such a realization when I had my first surrogate, my first child, which was the more dramatic one, um, uh, the first situation, the second one, it was very, very cool and easy all the way you know, it was fine. But the first, it was just filled with drama. And only because I think one of the reasons is because I was so jaggedy about it. And, um, but I, at the time to have a surrogate, you, um, a surrogacy laws, first of all, are different in every state. It's not legal in every state. It's legal in like, I think only 10 states and California being one of them. You had to, at this time, what, 12 years ago, you had to go in front of a judge because the baby is basically is in the eyes of the law, that woman who has it in her body. Um, and at six months gestation, you go to a judge and they say, OK, you are the surrogate. You are the parent, basically. Well, this particular judge in California, he's not practicing anymore. It's personal, like there are no surrogacy laws. Right. So he always made the same sex couples and the single couples and the transgender person basically adopt their, their own biological kid. Now, I was like, what? I had to get a lawyer basically sell me to the judge as a parent. And the lawyer was like, I'm so sorry, I have to do this. This must be so insulting to you. It is. It, after everything I had gone through, I just sit there with the judge, with a lawyer for the baby, a lawyer for me, a lawyer for the surrogate. I remember feeling this was so wrong. How dare you decide? And this is why I cry. How dare you decide whether I'm a fucking fit parent or not? Now, I never thought that much about same-sex marriage because it wasn't in my life. It wasn't something I desired for myself. I understood that, wow, that must be hard at the time. I was being judged. And I was like, oh, fuck, this is what the world feels like. This is what a oh, uh, same-sex couple who are so in love and so devoted to each other feel like. Same-sex marriage was not legal at the time. And I changed my tune. It's unfortunate that, that I went through this, but I got it. I got it. And because I sat there and he looked at me and he said, Miss Stafford, why do you think you're a good parent? I mean, I just, and I remember just the tears, I, they leaped out of my eyes. It was a very, very hard thing to do. And then he's like, you know, I always take a picture uh, with the, the, you know, the mom who gets a kid, he comes sit on my lap. 
And I sat on that motherfucker's lap. But I'll tell you how I protested that day. I didn't wash my hair. I went to that courtroom that day with fucking filthy hair. He rubbed it on his lapel. That is, um, that's something to have your child in another woman's body and having to adopt your own child and to prove your parental fitness. I I am even embarrassed telling it that this was something that I couldn't see in the world, right? I'm even embarrassed, but it's something that I got to feel. And, And this is how people feel. This is how the majority, like a woman getting her kids taken away from her unjustly. This is how she feels. This is how people are feeling in the world. A lot of people, but I really, I really got it cut to now. I have an 11 year old and a five year old. And I want to say that wasn't the hard part. (laughs) Wait, just wait, just wait. Give it, give it a minute. Give it a minute. I have a feeling they're going to be friends for a very long time and I will gladly be your GPS and your, your shoulder to cry on because you will cry, Gafford, you will cry. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. But I think it's, um, I'm, I'm learning and I really learned during this particular time of, of this pandemic that things do happen for a reason. And I feel that there is a plan, at least I have to feel that in order for me to like get out of bed every morning. And oh, I, yeah, sure. when you say that you're entitled, I say you were meant to have the resources that you have to have your children and you were meant to go through that to understand on a cellular level, on a visceral level and learn in order to pass on that lesson to your children. Because we take for granted our privilege, we take for granted, and not necessarily our privilege financially or anything like that, but we're not marginalized. We're accepted, we're not judged in the way that, uh, that the LGBTQ plus community is judged. And to fully understand that I think is a gift. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I think everything lined up there. And I think that you've had a remarkable journey. Jeez, from brain tumor to surrogacy, you've done it all. <laughs> I mean, who does that? That's the name of the book. I relate to you. I, I am so proud of you. And, and I know this is the first real intimate conversation that we've had, but I feel like, like we're sisters already. Oh yeah. Yes. I'm just amazed by your career. I'm amazed by your ability to switch lanes and to maneuver your, your ability to free fall and land on your feet. You're like a, you're like a fucking cat. Although I'll tell you, we have a cat and, and that cat fell off the stairs and landed, landed on its back. Really? Yeah. So it's not true what they say. Well, I think your cat might be a weird cat. Obviously. Michelle, you are absolutely amazing. You're amazing. Thank you so much for being on Bootstrap Bitch.